I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, February 11th, 2013. Alright, this is, uh, <laughs> man. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of really crazy things being said out there. In fact, it's quite the opposite. As I come to the program today, I have this overwhelming sense that I can't keep up. And uh, what I mean by that is is that five years ago when we started this program, we'll be coming up on our five-year anniversary of actually doing a daily program uh, at the end of June here. Uh, so it's we're just a few months away. And uh, at that time, I mean, I pretty much had to uh, be Johnny on the spot and, and scour the Internet for uh, the, the types of things that I needed to talk about. And uh, it it became easier and easier and easier to find these types of stories and statements and things. Um, and at some point not too long ago, it has got to the point where I can't keep up. I mean, <laughs> it is really not a matter of uh, of finding things to say. It's a, it's a matter of what can I get to? And so, you know, it, there's so many things that I could talk about on this program because We've basically come to the wild west of uh, of Christianity, if you could call it that, uh, where people are just kind of doing whatever they want to do, saying whatever they want to say. They're not bound at all to what God's word says, and they just make stuff up. And as a result of it, it it's, you, you look out there and you go, it it, it just can't get any crazier, and and, and then it does. And, uh, of course, you know, the big story today, you know, when I woke up, 
<laughs> my wife came in and said, "Hey, Chris, did you hear that the uh, the Pope resigned?" And I went, "What? <laughs> the Pope did what?" And it's. Uh, <laughs> And the first, the first thing that came to my head, I and not no joke. I mean, my wife informed me that the Pope had resigned, and uh, for health reasons. And the first thing that popped in my head is, oh no, William Tapley is going to go on a tear. <laughs> and and uh, sure enough, William Tapley is Johnny on the spot. We'll be uh, getting <laughs> William Tapley's update uh, regarding the uh, the uh, Pope Benedict's resignation. And and now, oh man. It just I'm I'm looking at all of this going, oh, this is just really bad timing. And the reason why is because um, those of you who are familiar with medieval prophecies regarding the Pope know that the Pope that's coming is supposed to be the one that's going to be like the Antichrist or like the really bad one. And uh, <laughs> so it's, you know, every conspiracy theorist and crackpot is going to be on high alert and in high production mode uh, from now until Christ returns, I'm sure. So, oh man, this is just going to be crazy to watch. So while all of this is going on, um, you know, there's other things that we've got to get to. In fact, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. It doesn't exactly feel like there's a, a common thread through all of this, but you'll kind of see it as the program develops. It's it's one of our, our more obscure topic themes, but we've hit this one from uh, several angles uh, in other programs. But uh, let's let's talk about this. First thing we're going to do before we start anything off is we're going to do a little bit of a... <clears throat> political update. And what I mean by political update is uh, those of you out there who are worried that uh, Barack Obama may have come under the influence of demonic spirits, especially the spirit of Jezebel, well, we've got news for you that will help set your heart at ease. Yeah, no joke. Uh, Wendy Alec, who is a um, a televangelist who has a program on God TV, she's taken it upon herself to personally heal um Barack Obama of any negative spirits that may be named Jezebel. We'll be taking a quick listen to that. <laughs> and then we will switch our coverage over to the Pope's resignation. We'll look at uh, what the Christian Post has written regarding Pope Benedict's uh, resignation. And then we will give you William Tapley's prophetic insights. <laughs> I just want to cry. And then after that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, there's two things I want to do on the other side of the break. Number one, um, there is a blog out there that I have been made aware of and am actually pretty impressed with this blog post in particular. But the name of the blog is Mark 5 Solas, M-A-R-C 5 Solas. And I believe, I've been digging around, I believe the person running the uh, the blog, his name is Mark Yoder. And uh, he has a fantastic blog post entitled Top 10 Reasons Our Kids Leave Church. I'm going to be reading this to you because it's, I think, it nails it. Nails it. It's just, it, it absolutely gets what's going wrong with the church, especially the pragmatic church. And uh, and then what we're going to do is we're going to <clears throat> take a look at Tony Jones's blog, Tony Jones of the Emergent Church. And he's asking the question, is it time for Christians to celebrate premarital sex? (laughs) 
No joke. That's the question. And of course, I'll tell you, I'll give you the uh, the spoiler alert. I'll give you the answer. The answer is he's 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 decided that he's going to consider this a project worth picking up himself uh, to help the uh, the Christian church come up with a new moral uh, code regarding sexual morality. No joke. So then after that, what we're going to do is we're going to switch gears. We're going to be going back up to Minnesota uh, to Passion Church, uh, uh, Jonathan Brozog, and listening to a sermon entitled Fun Factor. Fun Factor. Yeah, apparently if you're, if you're, uh, if you're a Debbie Downer and you're not having fun, uh, then, well, that's, you're, you're, you are probably disobeying Jesus. At least that's kind of what I got from Jonathan uh, Brozog here. Now, this is kind of interesting. I <laughs> want to just kind of cue you into uh, one of the things I do here behind the scenes at Fighting for the Faith. A lot of people ask me, you know, how do you prepare f- uh, for the program? And, you know, specifically, how on earth do you do the sermon reviews? Well, there's a there's an actual process that I go through. And I do brag about having the world's largest collection of the worst sermons ever. And um, and so I, I subscribe to probably probably every major seeker driven congregation, a few that are not so major uh, up and comers and stuff like that, as well as a handful of different types of uh, churches out there to their podcasts. And and uh, and I use uh, iTunes uh, to do that. But because my uh, sermon collection is so large, I actually have to use a, a two terabyte external hard drive just to be able to categorize and hold all of the uh, sermons that uh, that I have. And what I do is I use a process uh, where I go through and I sample the different sermons. And I can generally tell uh, you know, about six, seven minutes worth. You know, I can get into six, seven minutes of the sermon itself, and I can tell you, you know, what I want to do with it, whether or not it will make the cut, whether or not it's a topic that I want to get to. And what I do is I have a... I have a program, you know, kind of a, a you know low tech database, and I keep information in there, you know, for sermons to potentially review. And what I do is, you know, I, I, I in this low tech database, I have the name of the sermon, the church that it's from, the city that the church is in, the pastor preaching it, and then I have a couple of lines for problems with the sermon. Okay. Uh, you know, for instance, you know, one of my uh, major categories is confusion of law and gospel, uh, narcissistic eisegesis of of an Old Testament story. That would be another major problem. Um, psychologizing uh, of a, a historical narrative. That would be another uh, idea that comes up. But on um, this particular <laughs> sermon <laughs> that we're going to be reviewing. <laughs> I, no joke. When I previewed it uh, in my database, I the, when, I, when I, I said what the problem was, <laughs> I said there's nothing right about it. <laughs> so uh, this is one of those sermons. At least what I've heard of it, I didn't hear anything correct. <laughs> so there's like nothing right with this particular sermon. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I, listen, this is one of those programs where some of the stuff that you are about to hear, especially uh, before the first break, um, it's probably best if you take all of the necessary precautions, um, drinking straws, padding, duct tape, um, tinfoil pyramid hats if uh, if you're concerned about uh, receiving any kind of spiritual irradiation in, you know, on your brain, things like that. But definitely uh, hold off on operating the heavy, deadly equipment or lifting you know, weights, you know, dead weights, anything like that, um, until after at least you know, uh, until after the, the next two short segments. That's all I have to say. 
Um, let's go ahead and dive into the program proper. And uh, since we kind of have a crazy update here, although I don't think uh, Wendy Alec is actually a member of official member of the Patricia Gang Gang, she kind of hangs out in that periphery. So let's do this. Now, have you been worried that um, Barack Obama may have come under the influence of an evil demonic spirit by the name of Jezebel? Well, if this has been keeping you up at night, well, I've got good news for you. Wendy Alec of God TV has solved this particular problem uh, for uh, Barack Obama, and I'm pretty convinced that uh, based upon the amount of passion that she put into this, into solving this particular issue, we can pretty much at this point just expect smooth sailing and good things uh, from Barack Obama moving forward. Here is um, the, uh, well, the evidence of what I was referring to. Here's Wendy Alec of God TV um, casting out and freeing Barack Obama from the Jezebel spirit. Listen in. In the mighty name of Jesus, we break every hold of Jezebel. Jezebel, we break every single hold of you over the White House. President Obama, we speak to you right now in the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, and we free you this day from Jezebel's oh, clutches. President Obama, where you have been bound, we cry, freedom! Jesus, yes, freedom! Where your ears have been... Freedom, right. Isn't that from that movie with the Scots? And Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, Braveheart. Yeah. Freedom! Okay. Stopped, we cry, open! Open! Where your hands have been bound, we cry a severing of the chains. We sever the shackles. We break off all Jezebelic deceptions. Jezebelic deceptions. Wow, yeah, I'm so glad somebody's finally done this. I was really worried because it was very apparent to me that Barack Obama was suffering from Jezebelic deceptions. <sighs> We cut off ungodly advisors. We cut off ungodly advisors. We remove all ungodly tentacles from your shoulders. And we call forth godly men, godly women by your side, day and night. Well, there you go. Okay, just not very long there, but that was, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> video documentation of uh, Wendy Alec freeing Barack Obama from the Jezebel spirit and Jezebelic deceptions and things like that. And I'm sure after this procedure that politically things will, the ship will just right itself and uh, it'll be smooth sailing for the next four years with the Barack uh, Obama administration. Our thanks and kudos go out to uh, Wendy Alec of God TV for taking the time to break the chains of the Jezebelic deceptions that had overcome Barack Obama, what would we have done without her? She's practically saved the United States. <sighs> Moving along. From the Christian Post, the headline reads, Pope Benedict XVI to resign, cites advanced age. Now, the thing that's a little bit con is confusing to me is I thought it was like the duty of a pope to like die as pope. I mean, this is kind of a rare move on the part of uh, Pope Benedict XVI. But uh, Michael Grabowski of the uh, Christian Post writes, he says, Pope Benedict XVI, who had, has served as head of the Roman Catholic Church since 2005, has announced that he will be stepping down. In a statement released Monday morning, the 85-year-old pontiff cited advanced age as the reason for his resignation, which will be effective at the end of this month, uh, have, after having repeatedly examined my conscience before God, this is a direct quote, I have come to the certainty that my strengths due to an advanced age are no longer suited to an adequate exercise of the Petrine ministry 
said the Pope, quote, brothers, uh, dear brothers, I thank you most sincerely for all the love and the work with which you have supported me in my ministry, and I ask pardon for all of my defects, and now let us entrust the Holy Church to the care of our Supreme Pastor, our Lord Jesus Christ, and implore his Holy Mother Mary, good night, so that she may assist the Cardinal Fathers with her maternal solicitude in electing a new Supreme Pontiff. Do I even need to explain what's wrong with the theology in that paragraph? Uh, <laughs> if, 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 if I really do need to explain it, send me an email and I will demonstrate that um, we're not supposed to be praying to Mary. And Mary herself needed a savior. Anyway, Pope Benedict XVI is the first pope in nearly 600 years to step down from the position of pontiff. The last uh, was Pope Gregory XII, who did so as a means of helping to end the Great Schism when multiple clerics claimed the position. Pope Benedict XVI uh, was also the first Germanic pontiff since Pope Adrian VI of the 16th century and the 265th person to serve as Pope. So, I mean, there you go. So Pope, uh, you know, he was uh, Joseph Ratzinger before he was Pope Benedict XVI. He's only been in office since 2005, and that clears the way for the electing of a new Pope within, I would say, within the next month. So uh, there you have it. And of course, um, every single prophetic wingnut and crackpot out there has their own take already and we're expecting doom and gloom and bad things to happen with the election of the new pope and to give us the latest um prophetic insights to this um important religious headline we have a william tapley update but that requires me to do this So as you are, uh, I've already made you aware, uh, Johnny on the spot regarding the latest news regarding the resignation of the Roman pontiff uh, has uh, sparked uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times, to actually take a few moments and create a video. Now, it's important to note that uh, this is not like normal William Tapley videos because William Tapley was out of town. He was not in his bunker up in upstate New York, uh, when the news broke that um, Pope Benedict would be resigning. Instead, he was traveling to uh, attend the um, wedding of one of his relatives, and so he literally had to use his laptop to quickly put together a video and post it on his YouTube channel to explain how 
Um, well, yeah, it's probably best if I just don't spoil it for you. Here's William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the end time, to give us the prophetic insights regarding the Pope's resignation. Again, please take all proper precautions to protect your person and body and safety and things like that. Here we go. I'm out of town today. Uh, I'm attending my niece's wedding. I just received the very bad news off the internet in my motel room that uh, Pope Benedict is resigning. This is a tragedy, really. It indicates that the false prophet is about to ascend the throne of Peter. This is a fulfillment of the Gangnam style prophecy. Yes, you heard that right. <laughs> yes, you heard that. See, <laughs> I must confess, I had I couldn't stomach watching all nine of the videos that William Tapley put together, uh, plumbing the depths of the prophetic insights of size Gangnam style uh, music video. But at this point. Yes, you heard that right. William Tapley is claiming that he called this one um, as a result of taking all of that time to give us nine. And I said, so again, nine videos really sucking the marrow out of size Gangnam style and giving us the prophetic insight. Here's his explanation of it. Where the man in yellow is defeated by Sai, who represents the Antichrist. I believe that prophecy comes from Enoch. I'm almost certain the next pope will be the false prophet. His major duty will be to reveal the Antichrist. He will also okay the mark of the beast. Evidently, the Antichrist had to get rid of Pope Benedict before March because, as you know, the mark of the beast is a part of Obamacare. And it will be necessary for a pope, and that is a false pope, to okay the mark of the beast. All this is prophesied in the book of Revelation. It is prophesied in Gangnam style. It's also prophesied in that video, Stuck. I believe all of these are prophecies from Enoch, and they are coming true, and I will have more on this later. Thank you for watching. Boy, I can <clears throat> hardly wait. Maybe I should send him the uh, video of uh, Wendy Alec um, freeing Obama from Jezebelic deception because uh, it's important that if he's going to give us all the latest prophetic insights that he has all of the data pertaining to uh, Barack Obama. I mean, and it's good news. I mean, Wendy Alec has freed Barack Obama from the Jezebel spirit. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. When we come back, a good uh, post, a top 10 reasons our kids leave church, and then Tony Jones is saying it's time for us to celebrate premarital sex, apparently, yeah. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. It's like what not to wear for theology. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. Hello, my name is Joel Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book. Every day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you can be casual at work. And they's always having that 25 cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole everyday is Friday thing and have made some not so nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, but Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy! Spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support.
You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend Radio. We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tykrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri. All right, we're back. Uh, Warning, please don't take any of the prophetic insights heard by people on Fighting for the Faith seriously. At least none of the people that we update, like, you know, Patricia King, William Tapley, and others could be bad just a reminder fighting for the faith this is listener supported radio that means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue bringing fighting for the faith to you into the world and you can partner with us by visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com when you get there you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons one says donate the other says join our crew when you join our crew you're signing up to automatically contribute six dollars 95 cents every month to the ongoing work and mission of fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio of course if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute you could do so by clicking on the donate button or making your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send that to post office box 508 fishers indiana zip code 46038 and let me thank every one of you who supports fighting for the faith because we cannot do what we do without your support all right moving along i do not have uh, update music for this since we already played our news update music but you can find this article uh, this blog post over at mark5solas.wordpress.com i believe the author is mark yoder Again, that's M-A-R-C, not K, but C, M-A-R-C-5solas.wordpress.com. The uh, the name of the blog post is Top 10 Reasons Our Kids Leave Church. You need to listen to this. Here's what uh, Mark writes. It says, we all know them, the kids who were raised in church. They were stars of the youth group. They maybe even sang in the praise band or led worship, and then they graduate from high school and they leave church. What happened? It seems to happen so often that I wanted to do some digging to talk to these kids and get some honest answers. I work in a major college town with a large number of 20-somethings. Nearly all of them were raised in very typical evangelical churches. Nearly all of them have left the church with no intention of returning. I spent a lot of time with them, and it takes very little to get them to vent, and I'm happy to listen. So after lots of hours spent in coffee shops and after buying a few lunches, here are the most common thoughts taken from dozens of conversations. I hope some of them make you angry. Not at the message, but at the failure of our pragmatic replacement of the gospel of the cross with an Americanized gospel of glory. 
this isn't a negative beat up the church post. I love the church and I want to see American evangelicalism return to the gospel of repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, not just as something on our what we believe page uh, on our on our website, but as the core of what we preach from our pulpits to our children, our youth and our adults. <laughs> Great point already. I'm liking this already. So here's what he says, the facts. The statistics are draw-joppingly horrific. 70% of the youth stop attending church when they graduate from high school. Nearly a decade later, about half return to church. Half. Let that sink in. There's no easy way to say this. The American evangelical church has lost, is losing, and will almost certainly continue to lose our youth. For all of the talk of our greatest resource, our treasure, and the multi-million dollar Dave and Buster's Starbucks knockoffs we build and fill with blank walls and wailing rock bands, and the church has failed them miserably. And here are the top 10 reasons why we're losing our youth. Number 10, the church is relevant. I'm going to stop for a second here. That's right. The number 10 reason why we're losing our church is that our church is relevant. And here's what Mark wrote. He says, you didn't misread that. I didn't say irrelevant. I said relevant. We've taken a historic 2,000-year-old faith, dressed it in plaid and skinny jeans, and tried to sell it as cool to our kids. It's not cool. It's not modern. What we're packaging is a cheap knockoff of the world and that we're called to evangelize. As the quote says, when the ship is in the ocean, everything's fine. When the ocean gets into the ship, you're in trouble. I'm not talking about worldliness as some pietistic boogeyman. I'm talking about the fact that we yawn at a five-minute biblical text, but almost trip over ourselves fawning over a minor celebrity or athlete who makes any vague reference to being a Christian. We're like a fawning wannabe just hoping the world will think we're cool too. You know, just like you guys. Our kids meet the wor- real world and our look, we're cool like you posing is mocked. In our effort to be like them, we've become less of who we actually are. The middle-aged pastor trying to look like his 20-something audience isn't relevant. Dress him up in skinny jeans and hand him a latte, it doesn't matter. It's not relevant. It's comically cliché. The minute you aim to be authentic, you're no longer authentic. Number nine, they've never attended church to begin with. This is a fantastic point, by the way. From a Noah's Ark-themed nursery to a Jumbotron summer campish kids' church to pizza parties and rock concerts, many evangelical youth have been coddled in a not-quite-church, but-not-quite-world hothouse. They've never sat on a pew between a set of new parents with a fussy baby and a senior citizen on an oxygen tank. They don't see the full timeline of the gospel for every season of life. Instead, we've dumbed down the message, pumped up the volume, and act surprised when, next number eight, they get smart. This is reason number eight. It's not that our students got smarter when they left home. Rather, someone actually treated them as intelligent rather than dumbing down the message. The agnostics and the atheists treat our youth as intelligent and challenge their intellect with, quote, deep thoughts of question and doubt. And many of these doubts have been answered in great depth over the centuries of our faith. 
However, number seven, the reason, you send them out unarmed. Let's just be honest. Most of our churches are sending our youth into the world embarrassingly ignorant of our faith. How could we not? We've jettisoned catechesis, sold them on deeds, not creeds, and encouraged them to start the quest to find, quote, God's plan for their life. Yes, I know your church has a What We Believe page, but is that actually being taught and reinforced from the pulpit? I've met evangelical church leaders, quote, pastors, who didn't know the difference between justification and sanctification. I've met megachurch board members who didn't understand the atonement. When we chose leaders based upon their ability to draw and lead rather than to accurately teach the faith, well, we don't teach the faith. Are you surprised? And instead of the orthodox historic faith, number six, you gave them hand-me-downs. You've tried your best to pass along the internal subjective faith uh, that you feel. You really, really, really want them to feel it too. But we've never been called to evangelize our feelings. You can't hand down this type of subjective faith. With nothing solid to hang their faith upon, no historic creeds to tie them to centuries of histories, uh, without the physical elements of bread and wine and water, their faith is in their subjective feelings. And when faced with other ways to feel, uplifted at college, the church loses out to things with much greater appeal to our human nature and they find it in, reason number five, community. Have you noticed this word is everywhere in the church since the seeker-sensitive church growth movements came into, onto the scene? There's a reason and a driving philosophy behind it which is outside of the scope of this blog. When our kids leave home, they leave with the manufactured community they've lived in for nearly their entire life, with their faith as something they do in community, they soon find that they can experience this life change and life improvement in community in many different contexts. Mix this with a subjective pragmatic faith and the 100th pizza party at the local big box church doesn't compete against the easier, more naturally appealing choices in other communities. So they left the church and number four, they found better feelings. Rather than an external, objective, historic faith, we've given our youth an internal, subjective faith. The evangelical church isn't catechizing or teaching our kids the fundamentals of the faith. We're simply encouraging them to be nice and love Jesus. When they leave home, they realize that they can be spiritually fulfilled and get the same subjective self-improvement principles and warm fuzzies from the latest life coach or from spending time with friends or volunteering at a shelter. And they can be truly authentic and they jump at the chance because number three, they got tired of pretending. In the best life now, every day of Friday world of evangelicals, there's little room for depression or struggle or doubt. Turn that frown upside down or move along. Kids who are fed a steady diet of sermons aimed at removing anything or anyone who doesn't pragmatically serve God's great plan for your life has forced them to smile and, as the old song encouraged them, be hap, hap, happy all the time. Our kids are smart, often much smarter than we give them credit for. So they trumpet the message I hear a lot from these kids. The church is full of hypocrites. Why? Even though they have never been given the categories of law and gospel, too, they know the truth. This is reason number two. They can't do it. They know it. 
all the be nice moralism they've been taught, the Bible was a word for it, has a word for it. That's law. And that's what we've fed them, diluted, since we dropped them off at the Noah's Ark playland. Do, don't do. As they get older, it becomes good kids do and don't. And as adults, do this for a better life. The gospel appears briefly as another do to get saved. But their diet is law. And the scripture tells us that the law condemns us. So what about that smiling, upbeat, love God and love people vision statement? Yeah, you've just condemned the youth with it. Nice, huh? They either think that they're good people since they don't do any of the stuff their denomination teaches against, like drink, smoke, dance, or watch R-rated movies, or they realize that they just don't meet Jesus' own words of what is required. There's no rest in this law, only a treadmill of works. They know they aren't able to meet that. So either way, they walk away from the church because, number one, they don't need the church. Our kids are smart. They picked up on the message we unwittingly taught. If church is simply a place to learn life application principles to achieve a better life in community, you don't need a crucified Jesus for that. Why would they get up early on Sunday to watch a cheap knockoff of the entertainment venue they went to the night before? The middle-aged pastor trying desperately to be relevant to them would be a comic comical cliche if the effect weren't so devastating. As we jettisoned the gospel, our students are never hit with the full impact of the law, their sin that before God and their desperate need for the atoning work of Christ. Now that is relevant. That is authentic. That is something the world cannot offer. We've traded a historic, objective, faithful gospel based on God's graciousness towards us for a modern, subjective, pragmatic gospel based upon achieving our goal by following life strategies. Rather than being faithful to the foolish simplicity of the gospel of the cross, we've set our goal on being successful in growing crowds with the gospel of glory. This new gospel saves no one. Our kids can check all of these boxes with any manner of self-help, life coach, or simply self-designed spiritualism, and they can do it more pragmatically, successfully, in a more relevant community. They leave because given the choice with the very message we've taught, them, it's the smarter choice. Our kids leave because we have failed to deliver to them the faith delivered once for all to the church. I wish it wasn't a given, but when I present law and gospel to these kids, the response is the same every time. I've never heard that. I'm not against entertaining our youth or even jumbotrons or pizza parties, though I probably am against middle-aged guys trying to wear skinny jeans in order to be relevant. It's just that the one thing, the main thing we've been tasked with, we're failing. We've failed God and we've failed our kids. Don't let another kid walk out the door without being confronted with the full weight of the law and the full freedom of the gospel. Mark. Wow. Now that is a hard-hitting, factual, very true blog post. One worth passing along. Good job, Mark. I couldn't agree with you more. This is one of the reasons why we do what we do here at Fighting for the Faith, because the message that folks are hearing in the megachurches, especially these youths, that's not Christianity. In fact, they haven't been they ha- they haven't left Christianity when they've left the megachurch. They've been inoculated against it for the most part because they've never been confronted with long gospel, sin and grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins, and their crucified and risen Savior who bled and died for them on the cross. Sad, absolutely sad. But great point. Hopefully 
more people will uh, read that blog post and pass it along because it's definitely worth the share. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Paget. As your ears can tell, they have been set free from the limiting and constraining modernist definitions of notes, and they are now set free to just let the spirit guide them. In this homage to Friedrich Nietzsche, via Strauss's uh, wonderful piece, uh, also Sprach Zarathustra, get ready for just a powerful wave of the spirit to hit you like a sucker punch to the gut. Here it comes. Isn't that just wonderful? That's our emergent update music. All right, to the Tony Jones blog. By the way, his blog can be found at uh, Patheos. And uh, you just type in Theobloggy or you enter his name, uh, Tony Jones, in the search bar there at Patheos. And his blog will come up. And this is from February 6, 2013, written by Tony Jones. The headline reads, Is it time for Christians to celebrate premarital sex? To which I would basically say this. I mean, without even without even looking at the rest of the blog post, okay? Who does he think he is? I mean, seriously, by what authority can any human being claim to have the right to change what God has revealed in His world a word regarding what is right and what is wrong when it comes to sexual relations? What is sinful and what is not sinful. Where, who, where does a human being get the authority to just say, hey, you know, maybe we need, it's time for Christians to celebrate premarital sex. Why? Based on what? Have you ascended into heaven? Have you received a new direct revelation from God? Or is it that you just think that you have a right to change what the scripture says regarding premarital sex because you own a laptop that has Microsoft Word on it? And since you happen to have access to a word processor, I mean, you could just go right in and just whip out a new uh, moral code that uh, that Christians can use based, based solely on the fact that you have an, you have access to Microsoft Word. I mean, seriously, this is what we call arrogance of the supreme kind, okay? Arrogance of the supreme kind. But let me read the blog post in question now. Tony Jones writes, he says, One of the things about being divorced and remarried is that everyone knows that I've had sex with more than one partner. No one seems to hold it against me because I was married before and I'm married now, so I get a pass. Recently, Sarah Bessie wrote a powerful post at Deeper Story entitled, I Am Damaged Goods. Here's what she writes. He passed around a cup of water and asked us all to spit into it. Some boys horked and honked and their worst into the cup while everyone laughed. Then he held up that cup of cloudy saliva from the crowd and asked, who wants to drink this? And every one of the crowd made barfing noises and said, no way, that's gross. 
This is what you're like if you have sex before marriage. He said, seriously, you are asking your future husband or wife to drink this cup. Now, Jones continues, says she didn't get a pass because she wasn't married when she first had sex, but she is now and she's not going to live in shame any longer because she proclaims, quote, there is no shame in Christ's love. From a very, very different perspective, John H. Richardson claims in Esquire uh, that uh, our sexual prudence, uh, purience is in fact uh, the, uh, the of the least involved enlightened things about us, quote, I want to suggest that sex, be it adulterous or premarital or deviant or polyamorous, is a good thing, not a bad thing, and that sex itself is the is is the moment of grace, that our sterile idea of perfection is the actual sin. To start with the subject on the table, adultery is a brave rebellion against the invisible prison we build for ourselves. <clears throat> Jones writes, I, I, I. That's a tough one to swallow as his as as his closing shot is this quote. It is our sex. It is not our sex, but our hypocrisy that is the annihilator of marriage and destroyer of lives and reputations. Marriage invites adultery. The uniform invites war. A, uh, a rage for order always invites destruction. Jones then continues: Human beings are sexual beings. There's no way around it. And the fact that in the West the age of marriage has been steadily creeping upward means that our bodies are ready for sex long before we're walking down the aisle. In the United States, men get married at 29 and women at 27 on average, and we reach puberty a good decade and a half before that. But to talk about Bill Clinton or Sarah or me is one thing. To think about my kids is another. They'll be maturing soon and they'll be entering a world that is sexually charged just as their bodies awaken to their own sexuality. I've already begun talking to the older two about it and I will continue to. But it's one thing to discuss sexuality with a prepubescent child. It's another thing when they go off to college or come home with their boy or girlfriend. To pretend that those are, those are two virgins walking down the aisle approaching the uh, the coital bed for the first time is uncommonly naive, and it seems to me that Jesus was was lots of things, but he wasn't naive to the world in which he lived. He did, however, both preach and live prophetically within the culture. He didn't take it as it was without pushing back against it. In his day, it was that tax collectors were ostracized and that men shouldn't pluck heads off of grain on the Sabbath. Today, sex is everywhere. It's unavoidable. A new sexual ethic for Christians is desperately needed. I, for one, am going to work on that. Will you join me? That's right. You heard that, that last sentence right. He says he's Tony Jones makes the claim as the final shot on his blog post that a new sexual ethic for Christians is desperately needed. And he is going to be working on that and asks if you will join him to which I would say, you know, I will not be joining you because Christianity is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. What God has said, God has said. And listen, Everybody has choices. If they don't want to get married till they're 27, 28, or 29, that's their choice. But we do not have the authority to say, well, therefore, because the majority of our kids aren't getting married until they're 27, 28, or 29, and of course, they experience puberty when they're 14, 15, and 16, we can't expect them to behave themselves. We can't expect them to actually live according to the standard laid out in Scripture. Therefore, we're just going to, you know, change Christian ethics regarding sex. 
you know, it's time's come, just the time for an edit, time for a rewrite. So we're going to pull out the our exacto knives, slice out those passages that we don't like regarding, you know, these the old sexual ethics and we're going to put in our new ones. We're going to get white out and get out our our word processors and hit delete or strike out that line or get rid of this and cobble together our own new sexual ethic for Christianity. And this will say this is what our Christian ethic is now. We don't have the authority to do that. You see, here's the reason why. Because 2 Timothy makes it very clear that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. The common author in all of the biblical texts isn't Moses, it isn't Isaiah, it isn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or the Apostle Paul. The common author in all of the biblical texts is God the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. And Jesus himself makes it clear that... that Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will not. What, not one jot of the tittle of the law will be taken away. You see, the reason why um, I think people are feeling um, condemned in Christianity is because, well, they've, they're guilty of breaking God's law. That's why they feel condemned. Now, I'm not saying that it's okay to sin. Not at all. But what I am saying is this, if somebody's feeling condemned by God's law because they haven't actually obeyed it, that's kind of the first step that's needed. That's really an important step because the good news of Christianity is not that God takes people who are okay and makes them good and moral people. No, the good news is this, is that God takes people who think that they're moral and absolutely condemns them as sinners so that they could then be forgiven and declared righteous by the shed blood of Christ and his perfect sinless righteousness that is imputed to them, and they then bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Christianity has always been about repentance and the forgiveness of sins, law and gospel, sin and grace, and trusting in Christ for forgiveness and pardon. That's what it's all about. Christ came to save sinners. If you're going to change a, a, your, the Christian ethic, you know, pull out your word processor on your laptop and just bang out a new Christian ethic and say, here we go, here's our new ethic. What you're, you're going to end up doing is ma basically making it so that nobody's a sinner. And if nobody's a sinner, then they don't need a savior. That doesn't solve the problem. It just sends people to hell. So, yeah, and again, I challenge the authority of Tony Jones, me, or anybody having the right to rewrite the uh, the sexual ethic and morals revealed by God the Holy Spirit in Scripture. None of us has the right to do that. None of us has the authority to do this. To basically say, oh, I'm going to go out there and hey, who wants to join me? No thanks. You ever heard of Korah's Rebellion? That didn't end well. And this is very similar to Korah's Rebellion. Look it up. It's in the, the book of Numbers. Korah's Rebellion. Look it up. Things did not end well for Korah and those who joined him in um, <clears throat> in the rebellion against what was revealed by God through Moses. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to a sermon from Passion Church entitled um, The Fun Factor. Yeah, you don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. 
We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. <laughs> Wipe out. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Now, I don't remember the last time in my little sermon database <laughs> I noted that the problem was that there was nothing right about the sermon. Now, I haven't listened to the whole thing, <laughs> but this is just one of those sermons where I'm at a loss to actually figure out if the pastor actually says anything that's correct. Yeah, hang on, let's do this right. 
The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Passion Church out there in the uh, Twin Cities of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, The name of the sermon is The Fun Factor. The Fun Factor. And apparently we're going to be browbeaten if we're not having enough fun. Yeah, because that's what Jesus would do. The, uh, oh man, the uh, sermon, the pastor, and he has put uh, air quotes, uh, delivering this masleration would be Martext Jonathan Brozog of Passion Church. And again, I haven't heard the whole thing, but I've listened to close to half of it, <laughs> and my. <laughs> My note was there's nothing correct about this sermon. So, I don't know. This may be a freak of nature that we're about to listen to. a uh, An entire sermon preached by a person claiming to be a Christian that may not even have anything correct about it. I, I don't know. This would be like the um, heretical version of bowling a perfect game. Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll see. One thing is for sure is that... Um, Jonathan Brozog has um, not ever impressed me like once as somebody who can even handle God's word correctly, even accidentally. So let's go ahead and uh, kill the music. And without any further ado, here's Jonathan Brozog and his sermon entitled The Fun Factor. Here we go. Amen. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Welcome to Passion Church. Now, he's one of these guys, by the way, Jonathan Brozog is one of these guys who follows the same technique that um, Stephen Furtick uses, and that is, is that he has sappy music up at the front of his sermon and also at the back end. So he kind of like boxes it and he kind of think of bookends. He bookends his sermons with sappy music. Did they do great? Wow, they did awesome. Just give them a big God bless you. Wow. Now, if you're wondering what exactly it is that they're all clapping about, uh, you're about to find out, believe it or not, um, a little spoiler here. It's they did a little blue man group uh, thing at their church, where people had blue paint on and they had drums with paint inside of it. And yeah, you're about to hear the details. So you can be seated. Just a couple of things before we get started on our talk this morning is I want to encourage you to get connected throughout the week again with our app. Um, uh, we put today's talk up, you can listen to it, you can watch it, and we even put today's sermon notes up on that. How many of you are glad for a church that resources you and makes all that available for free? So all that's available. And, uh, you know, if God speaks something to you, which many times he does during the talk, uh, you know, write that down, uh, bring it up in one of our talk it over groups. If you have questions, bring that up at one of our talk it over groups. All of us are better than any one of us, Right. And so we want to encourage you to not do life alone, get plugged in. So today we're going to, we're here to have fun this morning. Anybody come to have fun, right? So the whole purpose of their worship experience that particular day was to come together and have fun. Fun, worship the Lord. So let's kick this off with prayer. Father, thank you today for your son, Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for the Holy Spirit. What an amazing church that we get to be a part of, the body of Christ. I pray as the word goes forth today, it would touch hearts and change lives. Make us a better church. Make us better before you make us bigger. I pray, God, that the word would get down inside of us, change us, help us to be more like you. We give you thanks for what you're going to do. In Jesus' good name we pray. If you love him, shout amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise one more time all over the house. So I want to talk to you this morning about the fun factor. Everybody say fun factor. Fun factor. So I'm under the impression that we need to have... Okay. Okay. Now, I own... Let me look at my library here because I keep them all in the same place. One, two, three, four, five, and I'll count that. Okay, I own at least six different systematic theologies. Okay, some older and some newer. And uh, and this is not counting uh, actually the two that I have on my iPad too. Okay, so I got eight different systematic theologies. Now, in all of my years of actually using systematic theologies – or I would even like point to like the uh, the confessions of the uh, of the Lutheran Church, the uh, the Book of Concord. Okay, I have never once seen the um, <laughs> the doctrinal category known as the fun factor. Um, you know, you know, so you know, you'd see you'd have like the two natures in Christ. You could talk about Christology. You could talk about soteriology, eschatology. Uh, we could talk about uh, the uh, the attributes of God, or the um, we could talk about the Trinity, things like that. Um, then we got original sin, and you know, and we could talk about sanctification and justification and things like that. But never once have I ever seen a single systematic theology have an entire section devoted to. The fun factor. In, in, in fact, I'm not familiar with any of the ancient creeds that mention the fun factor. Um, Athanasian Creed is absolutely silent on it. Apostles' Creed, not a hint um, of the fun factor. Uh, the Nicene Creed, no hint of it there. Even in Athanasius' uh, work against uh, you know the heretic, heretics is um, he um, you know, the Valentinian Gnostics when he lays out the rule of faith. He never mentions the fun factor either. So I'm at a loss here. I mean, what do we do with this particular teaching? Because Jonathan Brozog is absolutely convinced that this is an important thing for us to be discussing. But then again, when I think about it, um, I I can't even recall a single, um, well, not even one, not even one passage that, uh, that emphasizes the fun factor. Are you familiar with any verses that talk about the fun fact? I'm not familiar with any of those. Let me back up the audio just a little bit because I, I think I was cutting him off mid-sentence, but we continue. Morning about the fun factor. Everybody say fun factor. Fun factor. So I'm under the impression that we need to have fun when we come to the house of God. I'm under the impression that we need to have fun when we come to the house of God. Where did you get this impression from? And since when did your impressions rise to the level of things that need to be spoken of in church? I thought the job of a pastor is to preach the word, not their impressions. And at this point, I'm going to have to highly doubt that your impressions are actually grounded in anything that has to do with biblical or Christian reality. And we need to have fun in our marriages. 
We need to have fun in parenting. So if you're not having fun in your marriage or parenting, God's probably angry at you. We need to have fun in our work environments. If you're not having fun at work, you're probably sinning. And how many of you could just use a bit more fun in your life in 2013? Come on, anybody with me on that? So you need to increase the fun factor in 2013 or you're not a, a, really, a really sanctified Christian. <laughs> this is utter nonsense. Uh, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about having a little bit more fun. And even we just talk about fun in church. People like Christians don't even know how to react to that. It's kind of like when you talk about sex and money in church. People get weird. (laughs) Maybe the reason why the church historically has been silent about the fun factor is because it's not taught in the Bible. (sighs) Like like those are the two dirty things that God lets us do. And he like hurry up and get it over with and go back to being spiritual. As if being spiritual shouldn't be fun. You know, uh, like, like, you know, Christians get weird when you talk about sex and money as if we don't want sex or money, but we all want sex and money. I want sex and money. And, you know, and I think God created sex and he wants me to prosper. Anybody can say amen about that. So, <laughs> okay. So Jonathan Brozog wants sex and he wants money. So because he wants that, that rises to the level of Christian doctrine all of a sudden. So we are now crafting a doctrine of sex and money and fun because Jonathan Brozog thinks these things are important. Mm-hmm. Boy, how did the church survive without Jonathan Brozog? I'm, I'm serious. I mean, almost 2,000 full years without Jonathan Brozog, he finally shows up and set us all straight regarding wanting to have sex, money, and fun. <laughs> what do you do with this? And, uh, you know, I just think that, you know, when we talk about fun, you know, it, it, we ought not have that. By the way, the important words in that sentence were, I just think that. Yeah, if you, your pastor says that a lot, run. Because he's not supposed to tell you what he just thinks that. Okay, he's supposed to open up God's word and tells you what God thinks. Okay, and that requires him to engage in hermeneutics and sound biblical exegesis, not what's coming off the top of his head. That, like, attitude and... And I think we just need to have more fun in the house of God. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today. So I really want to encourage you to go back and look at the notes. But Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Everybody shout joy. Joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, um, that's not necessarily talking about the fun factor. Just because joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that that and now we need to have fun in church. Oh, man. Having Jesus down on the inside of you should produce an amount of joy. Am I right? You know, Christians sometimes have the, just the most sourest faces and, you know, just the most depressed, downtrodden. You're talking about the Savior of all humanity. Joy and love and life himself is living down on the inside of you. You're in the house of God, surrounded by people who love the Lord. You should be able to smile. Am I right? And if you're not, you're going to go to hell, so you better start smiling. <laughs> So, so all of a sudden, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, joy, now becomes a law that your pastor is going to literally pummel you with. And if you're not joyful, whoa, you are, you're in trouble. 
you know, and, and have a great time when we come to God's house. You know, I grew up in this deal where, you know, everything was just real stoic and staged and being a holy, you know, meant you wore white. And I just think it made you hot and ugly. I never saw anybody get saved because they had white on. And then we had these pictures of Jesus where he was just all like this and he glowed like he worked at a nuclear power plant. You could always find him at night, you know, this kind of deal. And, 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 and you know, I just, I just think Jesus was the guy all of us would want to go to lunch with after church. I think Jesus was the guy that a lot of us would want to connect with throughout the week. And we'd be texting and, 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 and having fun. You know, I, I, you couldn't pick him out of 12 people. And he is someone who can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Come on, someone say amen. You know, to kick it old school for all of our theologians here, because we've got to make everything spiritual sometimes. You know, people, people get weird when you see drums and paint, and they're like, why are we doing drums and paint? What's the biblical significance of the drums and the paint? Is it- yeah, he's talking about the pre-show here. Um, as part of their service, they had blue man group impersonators with the, the paint inside of the drums and the lights underneath them, and their faces blue and... Oh boy! The blue and you know, paint, and then we got the yellow, and we got the purple for the royalty of God, and you know it's just cool. I don't know; it just looks awesome to see guys in blue drumming with paint. And yeah, I mean, have you tried the Midget Cannon Expansion Pack? I mean, it. Listen, you haven't really had a church service or a worship experience until you've played the eighteen twelve overture, and then when it gets to the cannon part fired midgets across your sanctuary or your whatever your uh, your stage yeah you, you got it if you haven't done worship with the midget cannon expansion pack you're missing out i don't know what it is but i love it you know and there is nothing spiritual about it it's just awesome it's just fun right and um you know so so genesis 26 and 18 it says isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in times of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham's death. These were wells that had been a source of life and health, uh, and and the enemies had stopped up these wells and cut off their resources. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians. We lose our joy, we lose our laughter, we lose our happiness, and and, you know, the laughing baby ends up being the non-laughing adult. <laughs> okay, what, what does this have to do with the wells that were stopped up in the time of Isaac in the book of Genesis? <laughs> so he's he found a passage in Genesis that talks about how you know, one of the patriarchs had their wells stopped up by, you know, the, their regional antagonists. And so he's now allegorized that that well represents, you know, something in our own life. Oh man. (laughs) I mean, evil can evil could not jump that chasm of logic. Good gravy. When's the last time some of us just had a good belly laugh? Anybody like humor? You know, does anybody like to laugh? You know, so I want to ask a couple of questions about your fun factor this morning. And I want to encourage you to place a higher value. <laughs> he just did not say that. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm cracking up here. Okay, so he's talking to these people. Listen, are you monitoring your fun factor? Well, if you're not, you know, you're just not, you're not Christian. You're not spiritual. Value on having fun this year. You know, a lot of us are running, I got to do this, I got to do that. How many of you have lived long enough already, already to realize that that list never goes away? And as soon as you cross something off, there's five more to replace that list. And if you wait to have fun till you get this list down, it's never going to happen. If you wait to say, well, we're going to get this done before we have kids, you'll never have kids. I'm going to get this list together before I really develop my relationship with God. You'll never develop your relationship with God. I'm going to get this list down before I really enjoy my children. You'll never enjoy your children. And and the older you get, the, the faster you realize time goes by. Anybody say amen about that? And so I want to encourage you this year, let's have a bit more fun in 2013. So the question I want to ask you is how free are you to have fun? How free are you this year to have fun? What might be stopping the flow of fun in your life? Are you surrounded by the fun stoppers? You know, and I'm going to give you a list of a couple, you know, these, these people that you need to, you need to reevaluate. You know, the first one are these critical people. Critical people. I want to encourage you to limit the amount of critical people you surround yourself with. You'd be surprised the people who are just sitting here and criticizing what we're doing. Criticizing my shirt. Criticizing the drums. Criticizing how loud it was. The drums didn't have enough paint. I didn't like the blue guys. Why is the lighting this? Why is it so dark? Why is this happening? Why can't you rightly handle God's word and actually preach and teach it? Why is that banner so big? Why is the, you know, it's just whatever it is, it's just you can criticize like crazy. It's like watching the Vikings. Disappointing year again. You know, and, and we're all sitting there watching the screen like, oh, wrong with you. But we couldn't do that. Get out there on the field and have those guys run at you. I would just fall down. Just fall down. We, we criticize people all the time about things we couldn't do. We criticize movies we couldn't make. We criticize songs we can't sing. You, know, you understand? We, we, we just, it's so easy to be critical. I will criticize the performance, but hardly any of us could get up here and play drums like that. I know I couldn't. You know, and so I think as, a, as in this year, let's not look at just the thing. Again, what passage of Scripture are you preaching from again? Oh, that's right. You're not things that we don't have and, and be a, have a critical eye. Let's have an eye full of the things that God has done in our life and the things that he wants to do. Can I get an amen this morning? You know, uh, just an article by Reader's Digest that came out. It says, happy. <laughs> so now we're going to hear from Reader's Digest and you're going to glean Christian doctrine from Reader's Digest. Can't wait to hear it. Happy people thrive. They're more creative. They're more productive. So stop being depressed and get happy right now. They earn more money. They attract more friends. They enjoy better marriages. They stay healthier than their peers that grumble. Imagine a drug that caused you to live eight to nine years longer, make $15,000 a year more, be less likely to get divorced. Happiness is that drug.
And how many of you would take it every day? Um, where did Jesus teach this lesson? Or the apostles, the prophets, or most? Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Hmm, so you want to live longer? Hey, you need to be happy. And you know what happens after you've lived those extra years and you've made all that extra money? If you still do not trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and been brought to repentant faith and trust in him for your salvation, well, after you've lived those extra years because you were so happy, well, then you spend eternity in hell. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? You know, when we just grumble and complain and live a life of Debbie Downers and... You know, the cup's always half empty instead of half full. We, we can always list. It's funny, you know, as a pastor, you know, we do, uh, you know, counseling bits. And I would have couples come in and, you know, and they always come off with telling you what, with, what's wrong with the companion, you know. I'm so glad I got her to come. I, <laughs> I wouldn't take my wife to have counseling with you if, well, if my life depended on it. I mean, seriously, I don't think you're qualified to counsel anybody regarding anything. I'm just hoping you can straighten her out. Or she's saying something like, just do it to him, Jesus. Just just do it to him. You know, and it's so easy for people to list what their spouse is not. It's like, I just want you guys, here's two sheets of paper. I want you to list the things that you feel, just two or three things that you feel your spouse could work on. No problem. Just two or three, it's all you need. Cool. You guys are done? Great. Just slip that sheet of paper over. Now just list two or three things that you feel you could work on. Let's see. Again, that's that, you know, because we spend so much time focused on what our spouses aren't, focusing on what our children aren't. You know, when we speak to our children, we should call those things that are not as though they were. That's what faith is. The Bible says faith calls those things that are not as though they were. Speaking over them what you want them to be. You know, Jesus does, does this. He does this to a man uh, the Bible calls sick of palsy. And they couldn't get in, the Bible says, for the press. And they couldn't get into Jesus and And everybody calls this man sick of palsy. We don't know his name because the Bible doesn't give his name. It labels him by his condition rather than his name. Sick of palsy, drug addict, convict, you know, addict, whatever it is. People are labeled by their conditions rather than their names. They go up on the roof. They tear off the roof, let down this man. The Bible says when Jesus sees him, he calls him son. Taking upon the role of a father. See, when everybody else labels you by your condition, Jesus sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter. (laughs) Serious? Where are you getting this? The guy is sick of palsy. And the first thing you point out is that he calls him son. Oh, good gravy. There's so much more to this story. Why don't we take a look at it? By the way, the passage itself is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 3. If you read it in the King James... And here's what it says. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy. So what we're dealing with in, in <laughs> this uh, <clears throat> sermon is the story of the paralytic from the gospel of Mark chapter 2. Here's what it says, starting at verse 1. And when he, that's Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. 
And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Here's the sentence, ready? Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, what's going on here? Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, that's the great question, okay? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, here here Jesus is forgiving sins, Okay, and the Pharisees think that he is blaspheming. By the way, if you were a Jew living in this time, uh, the way you had your sins forgiven, that was that took place at the temple. It involved a sacrifice. And uh, here Jesus is apparently just forgiving sins without a sacrifice, but that's not true. Um, he's forgiving sins in basically looking forward to his soon sacrifice of himself for our sins, right? Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Well, the answer is, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't see that, right? But here's the kicker. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Right. Okay. And what's the bigger miracle? The forgiveness of sins. You see, if you know, that's the problem that we all need to have addressed. We're all sinners. And so here Jonathan Brozog references the a uh, man with palsy from the King James Version, and, well, has it's clear he has no clue what the passage is about. Let me back this up just a smidge so we don't miss Jonathan Brozog's mishandling of this text. Tear off the roof, let down this man. The Bible says when Jesus sees him, he calls him son, taking upon the role of a father. See, when everybody else labels you by your condition, Jesus sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter because he's not intimidated by where you are because he knows he has the ability to make you become what he wants you to be. Come on, somebody say amen about that. Ecclesiastes 8.15, nothing better than for a man to do good and be happy and enjoy life. How many of you are enjoying your life? A lot of us are just living life, going through the routine, going through the routine, going through the routine. We need to enjoy our life. There's nothing like making you enjoy something when you almost lose it. You'd be surprised that people almost lost life and all of a sudden they value it more. Almost lost their marriage, they value it more. Almost lost their child and they value it more. You know, I want to encourage you not to be around pessimistic people. 
but be around optimistic people. An optimistic person is a person who considers his problems. So apparently, who knew Ecclesiastes 8.15 was teaching us that we can't be around pessimistic people. Because if you do that, then you're, well, God, you're not making God happy. So you got to get rid of the pessimists in your life because they're just going to drag you down. Which, by the way, um, that's not what Ecclesiastes is about. Um, kind of the recurring theme in Ecclesiastes is there's nothing new under the sun. It all is vanity. Kind of give you an example of it from that same from that same chapter. I mean, let's just take a look at it. Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verse ten. So then I saw the uh, I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also was vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they, they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before, the, before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him to his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun." You see, I don't know if he's Jonathan Brozog has actually ever read Ecclesiastes, but that book has kind of a real pessimistic streak running through it. He might want to read that. That and Lamentations. I wonder what he would do with a book like Lamentations. But we continue. To be a temporary uh, challenge uh, that has a specific uh, or that is linked to a specific situation that he can isolate his problem and not allow it to take over his whole life. It's this issue, we'll get through with this issue, it's not a problem, it's a challenge. No one likes problems, but everybody's up for a challenge. Am I right about that? It's a challenge, we'll get through this, my life is not defined by that. But a pessimistic person, their whole life is revolved around this problem. Their whole life consists around this problem. Everything's going down. Oh, it's not this. Oh, it's not that. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. And I want to encourage you to get around some more optimistic people. Don't get around people who agree with you to fail. I'll never forget. I'll, I'll, I'll bust out Pastor Andrew once. It was, it was a few years ago, and I was I was complaining. I was going through something. I was like, "Man, we just we you know just, it just looks like we can't do this. It's so difficult." And I don't want. And he says, "Yeah, and just let's just quit it." And I looked at him, and I said, "Don't you ever agree with me to quit? Ever?" I may be going, man, it's all going to hell in a handbasket and it's terrible and this is wrong and that's wrong. I don't see how we can do it. But you go, pastor, we can do this. And surround yourself with people who never agree with you to fail. Don't get around people and go, man, my marriage is falling apart. Yeah, you should leave him. Leave that friend. You'd be surprised at the people who don't want you to be happy. I can't say all the things I'm thinking of, but you, you'd be surprised. Don't, don't, you know, it's like when you go to the gym, right? And, you know, I'm there and I can't go with people who like don't push me. 
You're like, so if I go in there and I'm just like, dude, this is heavy. Because I'm like whining and, you know, like, oh my gosh. You know, you're walking around looking at other people and they're like, you know, all fit and everything. I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, you're done. Go home. You're finished. You know, and it's like, Oh, it's just so hard, you know. I, I don't need somebody to be like, yeah, let's, let's just go to McDonald's. Because I'll be like, yeah, let's just go. I was like, let's get out of here, man. I need somebody who will like, you know, when the weight of, when that weight comes on you, you know, you're just like, I can't do it, I can't do it. Where they're like, you got it, man, you got it, you can do this. Come on, you got it, you can do it. Come on, give it all you got. You got this, you got it. And sometimes they just put their fingers on that bar and they really don't even put any any pressure towards helping lift it but just the fact that you know someone is in agreement with you when just the fact that you know someone is with you helps you to that's why jesus said if any of you shall touch and agree you'd be surprised at the power that comes through agreement how you can accomplish greater things in life in your marriage if you and your husband are in agreement if you and your wife are in agreement see the enemy works through disunity no outside source has destroyed our community the lack of unity destroys a community why do you think the word community is centered on the word unity we got to have unity in our marriages unity in our homes the bible doesn't say can two walk together unless they love each other it says can two walk together unless they agree hallelujah that's a good point so not what am I supposed to agree with you on? I mean, thus far in this so far 16 minute and 31 second sermon, I haven't heard you yet say anything that's biblically true that I could say amen to. Not like not not even accidentally. I mean, this sermon is like one of the seven wonders of heresy. I mean, it's it, again, this is like bowling a perfect game, you know, heretically, you haven't even stumbled accidentally on a right handling of any of the biblical texts that you've referenced. So what are we supposed to agree on? Not being, not being around so many, you know, pessimistic people being around optimistic people, being around people who believe you can accomplish anything. You know, we've we, we got to stop being around so many people who take themselves too seriously. You know, where you can have fun and, you know, be around these people. Stop doing it. Act your age. Grow up. You know, we got work to do. You know, but people are more productive when they have fun. You know, I, I am honestly, I mean, I... I <laughs> where is he getting this from? His life experiences? Serious. Have you ever read the Proverbs? You know, God's word actually pushes us to maturity, um, to right thinking and wisdom. Good night. This is an utter train wreck. I am throughout the week dressing up as several different superheroes. You didn't know that about your pastor. I'm Iron Man, Batman, Spider-Man, Superman. I mean, I have all kinds of different weapons and sound effects and superpowers and all kinds of things like that. Because I got two little boys and we have to play like that. I'm constantly getting hit with some kind of imaginary bazooka or laser beam or something that I have to react to and fall on the ground and be dead. And they never would die. They never want to die. They never run out of power. They 
there's nothing wrong with that when you're playing with your boys. But if you take it to the office and you try that with your colleagues, there there would be a problem, like a big one. You wouldn't be getting more work done. You'd be getting less work done, if any at all. They never just shields, shields, amazing shields. No matter what I throw, they block it. You know, and I have to do that stuff and get down on their level and have fun with them. And and they fight with me and and hit me. Nicholas is getting where he hits hard. I was sitting just I was just sitting on the bench the other day, just sitting to watch TV, and he came up behind me and hit me in the back of my head. As hard as he could. What? I'm trying to hit them as hard as I can right now, so when they get older, they won't they won't test me. Because You know, but, but you got to be able to you just, just get down there and do that. Have fun with your family. You know, have fun and, and, and interact. And, you know, you just got to laugh. You got to enjoy life. You know, you and your wife need to enjoy enjoy your life. You, you just got to laugh. You just got to enjoy life. You, you notice he's running out of steam here. It's like he's running out of ideas. You know why? Because the job of the pastor is to preach the word and, um, He's not actually teaching anything that the Bible really actually teaches. So it's, he's running out of ideas here because this entire theology, if you can call it that, um, has its origin in the brain of Brian or Jonathan Brozog, not God's word. You know, chase your wife around the house. You know, chase her around the house. You know, I can't chase my, house, chase my wife around the house because I've got kids at home. The best way to get your kids out of the house is walk around the house naked. They'll leave today. They'll leave today. They'll go to homeless shelter before they stay. Just walk. Well, there you go. If you've always wanted to figure out how to get rid of your kids, there's some great advice from Pastor Brozog. Walk around the house naked. You know, not being around so many people who are just like, you ever, you ever heard this term? You know, just you can get around people in church, especially church people, but they just have a tendency to be like what you could call like oversaved. You know what I'm talking about? Just like where does the Bible talk about being oversaved? I'm not familiar with that phrase. Calm down, dude. Like stop floating above everybody. You're gonna walk out of here with the rest of us. You ain't gone yet. You know, just like no matter what you say, they just spiritualize it. You know, like Man, I'm thirsty. You thirsty? Thirsty for the Lord? <laughs> really? Like, honestly? You know? Oh, man, I lost my keys. You help me find my keys? You need the keys of the kingdom. <laughs> I didn't drive no kingdom to church. I drove a Kia to church. You know? Rebuking the vacuum you bought them because it was a dirt devil. You know, just like, I can't have stuff like that in my house. You know, won't have computers because there's a cursor on it. You know, just whatever it is. You know, you're just like, stop spiritualizing everything, man. Just be cool. You know, and in church, you know, it's, it's, people can just go way out and stuff like that. We just At some point, you just got to have fun. Come on, am I right about that? Just have fun and enjoy life. Yeah, because the Bible says this like nowhere. Come on, we just got to have fun. 
Yeah, wasn't that a Cindy Lauper song? Oh, that was Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Hmm, okay. Joy Life, John 15, 11. It says, I've told you this so that joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Not heaviness, but enjoyment. You know, he didn't come to give us rules and regulations. The Bible says Jesus came to give us life. Cue sappy music. By the way, John 10, 10 out of context. Go back into chapter 9 and start at the beginning of 9 and read all the way to John 10, 10. You'll see what's going on there. And life more abundantly. Came to give us life. You know, and this year, I, I just want to encourage you guys to live a life full of fun and passion and zeal for the Lord. You know, in whatever area it is, no matter what we do in the house, you know, just having fun and, and serving God, serving God passionately. I think it's important that we give God our best. So he's telling you all the things you got to do, and most of them are just stuff he made up. But he hasn't told you anything about what Christ has done for you. Strange, huh? That we stir up the gift. And I was reading just last night where the Apostle Paul's talking to Timothy. And he's going, you know, man, listen, stir up the gift that's down on the inside of you. Stir it up. You know, like, like live a life of passion. And Paul's writing this from a jail cell. He's getting ready to die. It's the last thing he writes. And he goes, dude, I'm telling you, stir this up. See, God didn't give anybody everything, but he gave everybody something. And you got to figure out what God gave you. <laughs> uh, you got a verse for that? Gave you and use it for his glory. Use it to make him famous, not you famous. Talent makes you look good, but gifts make God look good. That's why they never do gift shows. They do talent shows. What? Struck the gift that God placed down on the inside. See, God's given everybody gifts. Some of you, your gift, honestly, is to sing or to play. Some of you should be up here, you know, leading worship. You know, some of you should be doing all kinds of things, but because somebody spoke something over you as a child that left you hurting and left you wounded, you know, we, words, words can assassinate people. You know, and some of us are still bleeding to death. There were things that were spoken to us. As yeah, these, <laughs> these words that you're preaching seem to have assassinated the truth and God's word. Yeah, I agree that words do assassinate. Yours are doing it right now. As a child, the reason we have no self-assurance and no self-esteem is because things were spoken to us as a child that left us hurting and wounded and bleeding, but God can heal that. And some of you honestly should be serving in the house and doing all kinds of things for God and, you know, and, and you, you feel like you're ugly and you never, you know, my, my eighth grade girlfriend told me I was ugly. Never mind the fact that she's done gone on and gone, gone out and looks like an old beat up Stroll's beer truck that's been in a car wreck. And, and, and you just, it's just pictures. I don't know, but, but never mind. You just go, you know, I can't do that. But I want you to know that you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. In fact, the Bible says that his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Some of you have the gift to sing, to play. Some of you, your personality is just a, a, a gift. People just love being around you. Some of you don't have that gift. Some of you have a, have a, have a you're, you're, just, you're just an attractive person. That's just a gift. Like, I have that. It's, everybody doesn't have that. But it's just a gift that God's given you. It's an attractive person. You know? And, and I don't know if you have that. You have to ask yourself. The Bible says God made, you know, some were wonderfully made and some were fearfully made. So you're going to have to decide whether you are, you're wonderful or fearfully. I don't know. 
You know, something to pray about. I mean, seriously, what is this? And so, you know, you have to make those decisions, but God's given all of you gifts. Gifts and talents. And stir it up. I want us to be, I want us to be like a blue man group church. What does that mean? You want us all to come to church, paint ourselves blue? No. (laughs) This is so bad. (laughs) Like I said, this is a, this is a, like a marvel, a freak of nature. I mean, he's, I don't think he's got anything right this entire sermon. Be cool, but no. You know, what I want is, I want us to be a church full of passion. I want us to be a church full of color. How many of you are glad you're part of a multicultural church? Right? That's what heaven looks like. That, That ought to be celebrated because that's hard to find. You know, I want to be... I want to be a part of a church that just has fun and it doesn't always have to make sense, but we enjoy life. You know, it's an old, it's a fun church. It doesn't always make sense. We're, we're in fact, lucid thought seems to be something that rarely shows up, but we sure do have fun. What does that have to do with Christianity? Old African proverb I'll share with you before we pray. It says that the two greatest days of your life are not the day that you, are the two most significant days in your life, are not the day that you're born and the day that you die. The two most significant days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why you were born. You know, what has God called you to do this year? Let's not go through 2013 the way we went through 2012. Let's be better. Let's accomplish what God has placed down in the inside of us. I love what Dr. Miles Monroe says. He says that the wealthiest place on earth is the graveyards because in it are buried gifts and talents and abilities that people never use. And I don't mind dying if I live first. I want to live a life of passion the king so I'm going to pray for you in just a moment today we're going to ask God to fill us with that passion and to help us stir up the gifts that he's placed down on the inside of us how many people would receive that today anybody with me amen amen so come on let's stand on our feet and uh, you need a blessing just to be able to stand right Make those noises when you stand. I don't know what it does, but it just feels better when you just, oh, yeah. So, you know, let's do this. We're all going to pray together. But if you're here and you say, you know, Pastor Jonathan, there are things in my life that I need to just stop. Okay. And there's things in my life I want to start. There's some calling and gifts down inside of me that I want God to stir up this year. Or maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. And you want to make a decision this year to live with Christ in your life. Whatever it is, I want to pray for you. 
And I'm going to make two things to you, two promises. Number one, today, uh, you know, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to bring you down front. But today, if you're here and you say, Pastor Jonathan, I just want to pray. I want you to pray for me. We're all going to pray together. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, you know, I just want you to look up at me and make eye contact with me. I see you. I see you. I see you dozens of people over here. I see you guys. Dozens of people. I see you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I see you guys over here. So, so here it is. It's an act of faith. So let's do this. You know, and again, it's just like, oh, I just feel awkward. Let, let's get rid of that. Let's, 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 just, let's just step out of the box a bit this year. So let's do this. Let's all just lift our hands. You don't have to lift them high. Let's all just lift our hands and let's pray this prayer. Some of you, it's the first time you've ever lifted your hands ever in church. We lift our hands as a sign of surrender. That's what this means. Okay, let's just all pray this prayer. So it's like a hold up. When you go to those churches and you lift your hands up, that's your sign of surrender. You, you hold up your hands. I surrender. Good night. Together, say, Lord Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean. There's more. There's, a, there's more people than. Okay, done. Yeah, sorry. I'm not going to let Jonathan Brozog pray for us. Good gravy. I. That was a marvel. He didn't even accidentally get something right. That was a complete and utter train wreck from the word go until the closing prayer. Wow. Fun factor indeed. They'll be laughing themselves all the way to hell. And that's the tragedy. They don't even know what Christianity is. They've never heard it there at that church. I don't even think Jonathan Brozog has any clue what Christianity is at all, and there he is, the blind, leading the blind, and all of them having fun on their way to, well, sadly, hell. Pray that God opens their eyes. Pray that God causes them to repent. Pray that God shows them the real danger that they are in, opens their eyes to the falsehood that they are captive to, and leads them to true repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's not church. That wasn't a Christian sermon. I don't know what that was. But in reality, that was really, really sad. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback@fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian, till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all your sins. Amen.